What do you call someone who's standing between two llamas? I, I, I'm afraid to even know. But please tell me, what do you call someone standing between two llamas? Laminated. You would not ever have had this opportunity had you not joined the show. Could, I mean, think about how much more fulfilling your life is. Today is Sunday, January 31st, 2016, and this is episode 147 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hey, Jerry. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I am doing pretty good, I'll be honest. I'm a little little tired. It's been a long week, and it's Sunday afternoon, so, you know, I've been running hard. So... But be, I'm happy to be here. Should be caught up by now. I mean, Sunday. I should be. I should be. But Sunday and Monday, those are the days I get all my chores and other activities done. And between that and trying to save the wasteland in Fallout 4, I <laughs> I just don't have enough hours in the day. I get it. I do. All right. Just uh, before, we, uh, before we get started, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. And uh, and also, a couple, just a couple of quick announcements uh, Hack in the Box. Um, Hack in the Box is happening May 23rd through 27th. Their call for papers is uh, ends February 14th. You can find them at hitb.org. Uh, you can also buy tickets. Their conference, by the way, is in Amsterdam. And the, uh, the, the talks they have posted, the agenda they've got posted, looks amazing already. So it uh, looks like a great talk. Uh, sorry, looks like a great conference. Uh, the other one is Circle City Con, which happens June 10th through 12th in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the call for papers also, coincidentally, ends on February 14th. Glad to see you've taken notes and actually you're prepared. Well, for... you know, feeling better this week. <laughs> That's good. That's true. You were sick last week. Uh, I remember hearing a rumor that there might even be a discount on the Hack in the, Blocks, Hack in the Box tickets oh, that's, for that's right. defensive security listeners. That is right. It's even in my notes, and I just skipped over it. So yes, if you uh, if if you do buy tickets and you use the promo code Defensive Security, you'll save ten percent. Yeah. So there you go. Just just uh, uh, they were just kind enough to throw that out at us to, because they like the show. Absolutely. So uh, so getting into our stories, there's a couple of really interesting stories this week. Uh, the first one comes from the register, and this the title is NSA's top hacking boss explains how to protect your network from his attack squads. Seems like we should have some, you know, if that's mood not music. a click clickbaity yeah. article name, I don't know what is. That's right. So, but this is kind of interesting, right? This is the guy who is in charge of the uh, TAO group, which is the uh, Tailored Access Operations. Thank you, thank you, which is basically the the hacking squad inside the NSA. And he went to a conference and gave a talk, which is kind of kind of interesting in and of itself. Uh, obviously trying to mend some fences, I think, with, with the industry. Perhaps. 
Yeah. Um, but I, I, th- I thought there were some interesting takeaways. You know, it's, it's very difficult to tell if, you know, if there's any disinformation in here. But I, I, nothing struck me as really out of the out of the ordinary. There were a couple of interesting points they um, he he threw out uh, amongst a bunch of very basic stuff like you, you should segment your network and look at your logs and things like that. But he did point out that um, things like application whitelisting is very important. And also, uh, one we've, we talk about every now and then, not often though, is, is the reputation uh, databases, right? So he, he points out that you know, we all dog on signature-based AV, and, and that's for good reason, because you know samples change all the time. Uh, however, the, the reputation perspective uh, can be pretty effective because uh, you know if you if you're running some code and you look it up in a reputation database and it's not been seen before, or or a domain name or an IP address, um, and and it's it's you know not it's either not been seen before or been seen very few times. That might be uh, something you want to be cautious about or block. Uh, right, that whole uncategorized yes. domain or IP range or whatnot. If it's legitimate, it's probably been out there for a while. If it's brand new, that could be suspicious. That's right. Uh, he, he did point out that uh, you know a lot of a lot of people are very concerned about the zero day uh, zero day attacks against their organizations by nation states. And he points out that they really don't have to use them very often because. Well, they don't need to. Um, there were some other articles other than this one. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure that the, the talk was recorded. If it is, I'd love to see it. But um, what was the uh, conference he was it at? It was Usenix, the Usenix conference in San Francisco. And and specifically the Enigma conference, right? Which I think yes. because they have a couple different particular yep. conference lines. So the Usenix Enigma conference, if you want to look it up. Yeah, that's right. Um, so he he pointed again. He pointed out that uh, zero days are are you know they they are sexy to talk about, but they don't really have to use them very much because well they don't need to. Uh, he he pointed out that you know the, their their success comes in their patience, right? And that they are looking kind of holistically at their target environment. And I think the one thing that um, the takeaway is not. Not that this is just the NSA, right? This is this is the probably the mode of operation of many, um, both governmental and organized uh, hacking organizations. Uh, and, and so, from that perspective, I think it's th- th- there's some important things in here. Um, there w- there were some other articles about this talking about how you know the NSA has some interesting differentiated capabilities with things like the quantum insert type, uh, you know, which was disclosed in uh, some of the Snowden release documents, which basically lets them, you know, on the wire uh, inject packets, you know, just for specifically for their target. So, um, As well as, uh, interestingly, something that supposedly was public, but I'm not sure was or wasn't, Carly Fiorina, who was at the time the head of uh, HP, mentioned that, she modified hardware on behest of the NSA uh, on the way to a customer. Yeah. Yep. 
and that would came out in one of the debates. Uh, yeah, there's some interesting things in here too that you know, kind of a couple of takeaways I got from it. One, and you already mentioned this, but how do we know how much of this is completely accurate or disinformation or a smokescreen? But that being said, his advice is not invalid. It's it's the same advice most of us have given and would give him, which leads to another comment, which is that most of what he's saying is derivative of other things people have said. Uh, and if it weren't for being said by the head of a major part of the NSA, probably would not have been all that newsworthy. Um, but it is newsworthy because it is, uh, you know, the head of the NSA TAO. Um, but the other thing I thought really interesting was his comment, and I'm going to quote here, and I'm actually quoting from the Wired article on this. I'm not sure if it was in the Register article, but uh, don't assume a crack is too small to be noticed or too small to be exploited, he said. If you do a penetration test of your network and 97 things pass the test, but three esoteric things fail, don't think they don't matter. They're the ones the NSA and other nation state attackers were seized on, he explained. We need that first crack, that first seam, and then we're going to, going to look and look and look for that esoteric kind of edge case to break open and crack in. So I think that's interesting because I think most organizations have this concept of a threshold of vulnerability management. And a lot of times they're going to go after their criticals and highs first uh, and the mediums and lows, maybe never. <laughs> and they usually have some kind of threshold of how much of those criticals and highs in a certain amount of time need to get closed. And it's a risk-based approach. And what he is really saying here is that you've got to close all vulnerabilities no matter how small, no matter how minor, to really be able to defend against a nation-state type attacker. And I think that is a tough pill for a lot of organizations to be able to swallow because I don't think that's very easy at all for most to do. Yeah, I think that's right. And he, he also had a quote, and I'm, I don't have the article in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase, but basically uh, saying that the defenders know what technologies and, and designs were intended to be implemented, but attackers like the NSA know what's actually being used and the right. two are the two are not always the same and that's a very important point um it's particularly from the 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 train of thought that you just mentioned right you mm -hmm. know what you don't know can be very harmful to you so you even if you think you have patched everything uh, but there's a portion of your environment that you're not aware of or you know whatever uh that that can that can bite you in the butt well, it, it echoes something that we've said a lot, which is to really do IT security well. You have to have mastery over your environment. You have to know what's in your environment. You have to know when things change. You have to keep a tight information discovery going over your environment. And I think that's really tough for IT security teams because they're usually really busy putting out fires. And a lot of times the sysadmins or the network team may have some of that knowledge or all of that knowledge. But often they're reluctant to engage deeply with the IT security team because they, there's often a, a bit of a conflict of interest there because the IT security team shows up. A lot of those guys see that as the auditors coming to make their day difficult or to get them in trouble or to cause them more work or to, to double check what they're doing and, and uh, you know look over their shoulder and disrupt their day. And... It makes it hard then for the IT security team to have that deep layer of trust and engagement with the folks who may have more deep mastery over the environment. So it's a tough one. I mean, the other thing I wanted to say too, jumping back, 
is one of the reasons I think this is noteworthy, even though the, the topics covered are not that new, is for good or ill, somebody like the head of the TIO at the NSA, what he has to say will resonate, resonate with our executives a lot more strongly and deeply than your elite hacksaw wearing a hoodie up on stage dropping an O-Day. You know, us technical folks will care about that, but uh, our CFO is going to look at that kid and go, you're a kid, piss off, you bother me, for good or ill. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm not ripping on the elite hacksaws. I'm just saying that's how they're perceived by the executive ranks of corporate America who need to hear this message. Right. So, yes, it's been presented before. Yes, a lot of people have ripped on him for saying this is all stuff we said. But if he can get the message across, we should support that. Yeah. Uh, yep. And, you know, <laughs> the reality is they're doing it, right? This is this is not in, indicative of a, of a change in tactics. They're just, right. you know, kind of lifting the, the covers a little bit. And I assume that what makes them comfortable with lifting the covers a little bit is that they have capabilities that would not be harmed by what <laughs> has been disclosed. I agree. They, they have far more sophisticated capabilities than what they're talking about here. Yeah. But it's still it's still relevant advice. And it's it's worth reading the article. You know, it's all the common stuff we talk about all the time. Make sure you're patching. Make sure that you are, <laughs> you know, you mentioned whitelisting earlier, all the other good stuff. Know your environment. Monitor your environment. They spend a lot. Of, seem to spend a lot of time talking about BYOD in vendors, right? So, so, yeah, uh, being weak spots into your network. So if you, you know, if you uh, let your employees bring their their personal computers from home and connect to to, the, to your network, um, you know, when those computers are on their home network, they're not going to be nearly as protected as they are presumably uh, on if they were you know, dedicated uh, to your environment and protected according to your standards. And, and it's relatively easy these days in the, in the day of social media and whatnot to figure out, you know, who these people are. And the other interesting thing, um, and this, there, there was a, I don't know if it was a Wired article or Ars Technica had a, had an interesting map back to uh, one of the other Snowden documents that pointed out, the NSA has this uh, uh, one one document, at least one document, that pointed out that they hunt uh, system administrators. Sure. And you know, kind of back to the point of looking for that one crack, uh, it is uh, very common and increasingly common for not less so the the v, the VIPs, the executive ranks, being the targets. I think those are becoming targets for things like the what we talked about last week with the you know the the, the f fake emails to transfer money and whatnot uh, the the devastating attacks against your <clears throat> IT infrastructure are often going to be successful by attacking your system administrators and I think that's a really important point because a lot of times you know we we treat our administrators is, um, you know, as as though they were enshrined or in, you know, encompassed with some magic layer of protection, and yeah, they're really not. So keep that in mind. It's true. It's true. Anyhow, um, so moving on to our next story. 
This one comes from Krebs on Security, and the title is Sources. Security firm Norse Corp. Corp is imploding. This is a mess and a half. It's a f- wow. fascinating, fascinating read, and it's not entirely technical security stuff. It's there's. <laughs> I, I had no idea when I I just had no no idea about the history of uh, of Norse and whatnot. So well, I ha- I have a little bit of personal history here, and that uh, I don't want to get myself in trouble here. But I did a deep dive discussion with these guys because a buddy was looking at taking a job there, and he wanted my opinion. So I got on a bunch of phone calls with a lot of their senior folks, and really, this is maybe a year and a half ago two years ago and a lot of what's said in Krebs' article which by the way is an amazing article he did a ton of background and research and you know once again is, is showing that he's a rock star in in this particular field um matched up with what he's saying i didn't know any of the the, the deep background but the secrecy the the magic black box mindset the um you know, personality, the cult of personality involved was all stuff that I picked up on as well uh, in my discussions with him about, uh, you know, not an opportunity for myself, but a buddy of mine. And um, I don't know. I cannot think of another security firm, especially one that's actively involved in, you know, an active service, if you will, imploding so completely and so fully in, in my memory. Uh, like this, yeah. So that so just to catch everybody up. Yeah, sorry. I we should go through nope. the, the summary here. Absolutely. So so Norse is a you know cyber security company and most famous for their attack map, which you know I think it's been out there for two maybe three years. I guess this is the uh, the map of the the world and it has the you know the inbound attacks. Between, uh, Looks like the missile maps from war games. Yeah, it really does, and and the different colors and and sizes of the explosions indicate different types and severities of attacks and whatnot. And, often derided map, by the yeah, way. very often derided and often copied and and whatnot. Anyway, um, it was it is definite eye candy, and if you go into it, well, at least up until recently, if you went into any, you know, sock, you'd probably see that map up, um, if for no other reason to look cool, I guess. Um, but anyhow, the we a lot of people in the industry have often questioned the the accuracy of the data that feeds that map, and that was kind of Norse's secret sauce. Yeah, and that's something Krebs talked a lot about in his article, too, of there's sensors that they have deeply deployed. And uh, interestingly, who is it, the CTO? What is his name? Oh, where are you? Because this is important. There we go. Uh, Tommy Steinson. Right. The only one actually from Norway. So part of their marketing shtick was that Tommy had all these personal relationships 
with all of these network service providers and all of these points of presences. And that's why they could deploy all their sensors to these places. Nobody else could deploy because of Tommy's personal relationships. And so I said, well, that's interesting. So what happens if Tommy gets hit by a bus? <laughs> right. <laughs> First off. Um, but as, as Krebs talks about in here, as, as we've heard repeatedly alleged about them over the years, they have, in essence, honeypots stood up at all these various locations. And they would, in essence, exaggerate, at least this is alleged, the veracity of this data. In other words, they would get a scan for something, and they would assume that that scan, whether it be automated or whatnot, equals an attack. In the in the originating country was indicative of it being associated with that country's government. So we might say nation state. Well, exactly. That's right. For those playing the drinking game at home. That's right. <laughs> APTs, in fact. <laughs> right. So yeah, they, they, uh, Krebs interviews uh, a lady who was Norse's chief data scientist. Uh, and and uh, in, interestingly, so they talk about, I think it was, uh, Norse was, up until recently, ingesting like 140 terabytes of logs a day. So it's a huge amount of data that they've been pulling in. And and to complete the story, right, yeah. just for background, what Norse is, for those who don't know, is a threat intelligence vendor, in theory, right? They've got all these monitoring points all over the place, uh, which allow them to derive attack data in some way, shape, or form market it, sell it, and then companies theoretically somehow use that to somehow stop bad guys. Yeah. Blinky lights, blinky lights. That's right. Okay, so now diving diving into the details of the story. Now, I will warn you, this is a long, complex article from Krebs. We can't cover all of it, but it's chock full of awesome just company implosion rumor goodness. I'll tell you that. That's Gossipy right. goodness. That's right. So so anyway, the, the chief data scientist uh, says she worked there for seven months before she was even given access to the data that she was supposed to be, you know, doing data science on. And then when she finally got access to it, she said she was pretty underwhelmed because it was basically like web server logs, as she described it. But, you know, basically she said, well, there's so much of it that you could pair it with other data and maybe do some interesting things with it. Um, many other uh, many of their business partners complained over the years that you know they were very as you described they're very secretive about the data they they wouldn't really disclose how they collected the data there's some uh, kind of subtle accusations that maybe they were doing business in countries that they shouldn't have been like Iran and North Korea uh, to to be able to collect some data. And one of the most one of the more interesting things to me is the history of the company, kind of up to the time they you know, that they became Norse. Uh, again, this is a very very long story, but basically, the, the there were quite a few preceding companies uh, that didn't work out very well, and in fact, uh, in many cases, were either shut down. Uh, delisted off of stock exchanges or had been investigated for some kind of wrongdoing, including selling tobacco to minors at one point. Yeah, that's a very interesting story. Uh, eventually, that morphed into Norse, and uh, 
the you know I think the at the very end of the article, the chief data scientist lady, uh, who's obviously no longer there, uh, pointed out that you know, in retrospect, it appears that the leadership, the top leadership, of Norris was really uh, kind of running a, a long chain of get rich quick schemes uh, that that target investors based on you know kind of the current hot market thing at the time and and so it was really really a very interesting thing and you know what's in, what's was disappointing i think in a lot of ways is there were some really brilliant people who actually worked there yeah and and so th- those people i think to some extent maybe hopefully they don't get stained by their association with this maybe you know as an aside to the story i've been seeing a ton of traffic of the talent land grab going on so to jump a little bit ahead in the story, because this is important to what I'm about to say, in essence, what has happened is the company basically shut down over a weekend, as best we can tell. The CEO was fired. The top investor said to employees who were still there, uh, if you come in on Monday, you can, but there's no guarantee you're going to get paid. The websites are all offline. There's rumors of a fire sale to Cloud Fire, I think is. So- Solar Flare. Solar Flare, sorry. Um there was layoffs a couple of months ago. So one thing to bear in mind is that we are getting stories from ex-employees who may have an ax to grind. But for this entire thing to implode like this is very atypical for a company. And it seems like the VCs pulled the plug, as best I can tell. Yeah. And so back to your point, the uh, there's a whole bunch of companies out there right now and active on Twitter going, hey, you know, if, if your Norse Corp uh, job just went away and you're looking for a job, call me. Uh, so it seems like a lot of people knew that there were really good people at Norse, but were really badly led. And uh, I think this is, this is a challenge in this industry. It doesn't matter always how great your people are, or how good your idea is. If you can't market it and go to market with a technology or a service that customers actually want. And that is actually not snake oil. Yeah. I think it also points out that as on the consumer end, we, you know, we have to have a healthy bit of skepticism because uh, I I think in retrospect, a lot of people's concerns about, about Norse may have actually been well-founded and, uh, you know, and, and so kind of going back through some of the other interesting things as as exemplars of that, in the wake of the um, the Sony hacking thing, and actually I believe it was some North salespeople who had disclosed some information in that one of the long write-ups, which at the time I think we, we both thought was really odd. Yep. Um, uh, but anyway, the you know, the thinking back or remembering back to uh, that, time period and it's it's documented in this this story um norse had you know that there was a uh there was a an fbi statement that you know they had attributed it to the the attack on sony to north korea and then norse came out with a very public appeal i don't know what you want to call it basically saying that they had evidence that it was some disgruntled former employees and so they had, you know, they had met with the FBI and they had met with some other security vendors. And apparently uh, they really wouldn't tell what kind of data they had that supported that conclusion. They just were, as 
is described in this in this article, basically stomping their feet, saying, "No, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, North Korea. It was a uh, a disgruntled former employee." And Which not... got some traction back it at the did. time, it, because yes. there was also a great deal of suspicion that it wasn't North Korea. So. A lot of people at the time, including myself, said, no, we don't think it was North Korea. And then Norse, which had a fairly decent reputation at the time, said, oh, we think it was this instead. And so those who were skeptical of North Korea took a hard look at that. And and there was certainly some circumstantial evidence that could have supported that cause based on how the – the data was coded into the malware of specific IP addresses, and there's clearly insider knowledge, or could have been alleged to be insider knowledge, about Sony's network during that attack. So anyway, that's a bit of an aside, but um, it did get some get some traction. So uh, I mean, they definitely made a lot of waves. They 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 had a good marketing presence with a lot of their stuff. In fact, the the aforementioned live attack map was used all over the damn place. Yeah, absolutely. And got a ton of coverage on TV and because it was great eye candy. Right. Um, but there's another another great story in this article, too, uh, about uh, Stuart McClure, who's uh, president and founder of Silence, trying to work with Norse. Yes. That's a great, that's a great little uh, vignette there. Uh, if you want to run through it, go ahead, uh, or I can. No, go ahead. Yeah, and so, again, we could ramble on for like two hours because Krebs' article is that big and full of juicy tidbits. But in essence, McClure wanted to work with – Silence wanted to work with um, Norse on this, and and Norse just would not open the kimono. They wouldn't show him the data. And so, you know, they – that when these guys met, Norse would – give this, according to the article, a long, rambling, hours-long discussion about what their suspicions were while dodging direct questions and would not ever show silence the data. And so, I mean, some of that is corporate IP protection to a certain extent, but you start to see a pattern of behavior here. Exactly. Uh, uh, that maybe they knew that their data just wasn't up to snuff and wouldn't stand up to deep analysis by clueful people. Right. So, uh, you know, it's another one that, that a lot of people pointed out was Norse put out a, a lot of flashy reports, which is what you do when you're a cybersecurity intelligence vendor. But they were commonly faulted for not having people who were experts in whatever the attack uh, targets were. For instance, industrial control systems. The people writing the articles uh, for Norse didn't know anything about industrial control systems, so it was chock full of mistakes and and incorrect assumptions. And uh, they were spotting scan data into their honeypots and assuming that that was actual attacks. Whereas, you know, it could have been Rob Graham, for all we know. That's right. Uh, they, they, there was a, there's a really interesting quote in here. It basically says, um, uh, after that experience, McClure said he decided not to work with Norse on either the Sony report or the Iran investigation. Silence ended up releasing its own report on Iran's cyber capabilities. That analysis dubbed Operation Cleaver was later tacitly acknowledged in the confidential report. 
by the FBI. Conversely, Norse's take on cyber on Iran's cyber prowess was trounced by critics as deeply biased headline grabbing report. It came near it came near the height of international negotiations over lifting nuclear sanctions against Iran and Norse had teamed up with the American Enterprise Institute, a conservative think tank that had traditionally taken a hard line against threats or potential threats against the U.S. In this report, Norse said it saw half a million attacks on industrial control systems by Iran in the previous 24 months, a 115% increase in attacks. But in a scathing report, or in a scathing analysis of Norse's findings, critical infrastructure security expert Robert M. Lee said, Norse's claim of industrial control systems being hacked and implying it was definitively the Iranian government was disingenuous at best. And it just goes on. Basically, this is this was the deal where you know they had uh, they had honeypots and they saw the honeypots being scanned or attacked by Iranian IPs and uh, you know, just made the assumption that it was um, you know they were all originating from the Iranian government and. Um, targeted at critical infrastructure. So, you know, the point was uh, the point of Robert M. Lee's article. You know, you, you you can't set up a some honeypots and just let them hang out there and then call the attacks against them. You know, targeted attacks against critical infrastructure. It just doesn't work that way. So, yeah, it's a it's a re- it's a really good article. But I, again, I think it. It, it points out that you know as consumers we've got to have you know we it, it, i think even even more concerning and you you brought this up the stuff that Norse put out resonated very heavily with uh with the executive crowd right and and so they you know they were very very flashy and they knew how to they knew how to work a boardroom in my view at least and and, and so we have to be kind of careful about that because the, 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 that can lead you down um, you know it, at best an, an unproductive path well I think what you've got here is is and this is I've felt this myself when I was at startups you've got smart technical people working for really flashy salespeople and marketing people and relatively potentially slimy executives who are more interested in ROI on the VC money and smash and grab than actually building a valid, viable going concern. Right. You know, since this came out and this has happened, there's been a flurry of blog activity too about what does this mean for the threat intelligence industry as a whole? Is this a sign that the threat intelligence industry is smoke and mirrors and snake oil? I don't know. I, I, I... I will tell you that in general, I have challenges with the concept of threat intelligence. I think you, there's some value there, but I, I really feel it's akin to AV in that you're hoping somebody else gets hit by something first, and somehow integrators of compromise can be derived from that or, or whatnot and then apply to your environment before they come hit you. And I, I understand that's a very simplistic view of threat intelligence, but I'm not convinced yet that threat intelligence is viable for most organizations. Perhaps if you have an incredibly mature information security program, an incredibly strong SOC, uh, and you've got all the bases covered, which 95% of companies don't, maybe it is. But... I I cannot definitively say one way or the other if threat intelligence is valuable. I, I, I 
leave that open. However, I don't think Norse imploding is harbinger of the entire threat intelligence uh, sort of community of companies being in danger of going away. I think that this is a, a, a somewhat focused case because of specific actions that Norse took. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it certainly seems like a um, just a business strategy, business leadership type of thing. And by the way, I've, I've also heard that um, uh, I've heard that the CEO who was fired last week, apparently mm-hmm. um, was a pretty stand up and, and knowledgeable guy. So it's really difficult to know exactly, you know, who knew what, when, and was really steering the ship. So difficult to say. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, the, the undertone in the article is that the CTO um, was not the straightest arrow in the quiver, let's say. I'm uh, sure more will come out. This is probably going to be a pretty big story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, at least within our little microcosm of, of the security industry world, right? You know, probably. I, I also wonder about, you know, this is a, a paid service. I wonder what's going on with those customers who pay for that service. That's a good, good question. Absolutely good question. You know, because they're they're not cheap. Uh, I think I remember reading somewhere along the lines of, uh, you know, 500K a year. Right. For, for, for access. Their, yep. Yeah. So, don't know. We'll see. We shall but see. More to come. Indeed. Speaking of more to come, <laughs> see what I did there? I did. I did see that. Our last story for today comes from Ars Technica, and the title is Secret SSH Backdoor in Fortinet Hardware Found in More Products. So think back to, I, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but we talked about Fortinet uh, on the heels of uh, NetScreen having found a, a backdoor, Fortinet was found having a, a basically a hard-coded uh, user ID and password in, uh, in in SSH for some of their uh, one of their product lines, but had been fixed uh, back in 2014. So you know they at the time. Uh, Fortinet released a statement basically saying this is a non-issue. We fixed it. It was, um, you know, it wasn't a backdoor. It was part of our management functionality, you know, kind of ill-conceived type thing. You know, let's all move on. Uh, but they apparently revised their statement and said that they found it in a number of of other products, including their Forta Analyzer, their Forta Switch, their Forta Cache, and uh, and then also the, the Forta OS, which we've previously talked about. And, and by the way, some of those products, uh, th- that backdoor is actually still, or up until very recently, was active in the most recent version of the, the firmware. And uh, yeah, so um, got to really take things for a, with a grain of salt when, when this sort of stuff comes out. I would also say it's it's kind of dangerous for vendors to um, make a statement like Fortinet did basically saying, you know, that we've fixed the problem, and then uh, it looks looks kind of bad when you come back later and say, oh well, maybe maybe we really didn't fix the problem. Just remember, you have to attach. We take your security very seriously. Now, yes, on the front, right? <laughs> As an aside, on that NetScreen Juniper, apparently, uh, 
the, the U.S. government's freaking out a little bit. They gave everybody, uh, all the network owners in the U.S. government, two weeks to come back to asking, hey, how many Juniper uh, firewalls you guys running? <laughs> That's right. Because they're a little concerned that there could be some, you know, backdoors hanging out in the U.S. government network. Eh. Yeah, and it, by the way, this does really bring home the fact that you absolutely positively should never, ever, 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 ever expose management interfaces to your uh, infrastructure to the uh, unwashed masses. That's true. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> I, You know, I, I see a new business opportunity here. We need to sell a blinky box that detects unknown backdoors in your in your equipment. Ooh, I like this. We could get some venture capital going. In fact, my phone's already ringing with VCs. <laughs> Fancy. We'll get that Norse Corp uh, CTO on board. We'll be rocking and rolling. <laughs> That's right. Oh wow! So, um, so yeah, that is the show for this evening. Um, I, you know, there were certainly many more stories, but most of them had to do with uh, local governments being crypto lacquered to death. Um, you know, so once again, back up your stuff and uh, try to keep your people from clicking on attachments. Good luck. And uh, yeah, yeah, close your ports. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so yeah, with that, um, we will uh, we'll talk again next week. In the meantime, if you like the show, give us some love on iTunes. Uh, we thank our Patreon donors very, very much. Uh, very humbling. If you have any comments or questions, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. You can find links to the stories we talked about on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. They should also, by the way, be in the uh, the metadata of the MP3s, in case you haven't noticed. I mean, that's just something I do for you out of the kindness of my heart. And, uh, yeah, with that, we will talk again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We love all of you. Take care. Bye-bye. Why do you hate me? I, I can only assume that uh, some nation state somewhere... Uh, there you are. You're split in half again. What the hell? I see that. and uh, Actually, almost into quarters. I know. Does it hurt? Well, no more than looking at your face. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.